Okay, welcome back. So today, continuing series on uh, Nityananda. Today, episode 15, although the numbering in the playlist may be a little different. Uh, beginning the reading of the next book called Sky of the Heart, Jewels of Wisdom from Nityananda, also put together by uh, Captain M.U. Hatengi and Swami Chetanyananda, also from Rudra Press, which came out of the uh, school of the guru teacher named Rudrananda or Rudi, who was um, not really a direct student of Nityananda at all, but came out of the lineage associated with Muktananda. Now, we had read the introduction on that first link, nonduality.com slash m2.htm. We had, I have read the introduction before, and so we're not going to go over that. And as I said, uh, I couldn't find a PDF of the whole book, and so I'll be working with the physical book in hand next time. This time, I want to read three the three chapters that are put down here. Nature of the Absolute, Nature of the Individual, and the Process of Liberation. And then there's a conclusion, which uh, may, we may or may not read, which I think we know already. Uh, nature of the Absolute gets into basically um, Vedantic cosmology and ontology. So we're talking about cosmology, ontology here. And um, it's worthy to compare it to Buddhist cosmology or ontology and the raw material. Uh, cosmology meaning the structure of creation or cosmos, study of the cosmos, its cosmogenesis, its origin, and its structure or organization. Ontology, the nature of being, uh, brings us into what, what is creation. We can see it has a structure, but what is its nature? Then, as the next chapter after that, nature of the individual is very much on ontology the nature of the being of um, a, a, of an agent or a sense of self. What is the self? And much of this will be review, and much of it we've uh, heard in other places, or we can, I think, rightfully compare, contrast <clears throat> with other presentations from mm, Buddhism, from the raw material, uh, from any other source that you may be familiar with. I mean, there is Islamic cosmology and uh, Hebrew and Christian, obviously. Uh, <clears throat> and the chapter Process of Liberation also can rightly be compared with uh, the Buddhist soteriology or the study of salvation which is also called liberation, which is spiritual path. And again, I don't really have a problem integrating as best I can uh, Advaita Vedanta and uh, core Vedantic teaching from the really old days, which is before Advaita or non-dual Vedanta, but it's uh, they're quite compatible, I think, in my own... I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a scholar of everything or anything, really. So I'm doing my best, and um, take what you can. Uh, but I think that uh, 
this approach you see um, is distinct from Buddhism, distinct from the raw material, but there's tremendous uh, common ground. So uh, I will point that out. Uh, beyond that, I'm going to bring in a couple of quotes from Mahayana Buddhism in terms of um, what we could call the two truths, relative view, absolute view, or the apparent reality of duality and the essential truth of non-duality, which is, however, put out in dualistic language, which is what we're working with. Then, <clears throat> um, a passage from puredhamma.net where Gautama was addressing the question of identity or ontology or beingness or self. What is the nature of self or soul? And uh, it's not the teaching of anatta, commonly translated as anatta, as I've said before, some people think is contradictory to Buddhism or is contradictory to, to Hinduism or Advaita Vedanta talking about self-realization. But I don't think so. And actually this passage that I'll bring in from puredhamma.net um, suggests that um, the common understanding that Gautama was teaching no self is not quite so then a little bit from Wikipedia on the nadis and the, the energy channels. In the Hindu or uh, Vedantic approach, yogic Vedantic approach to liberation is quite different and a bit more controlling, uh, control conscious mind directive, directing than the Buddhist, particularly in terms of Anapanasati or mindfulness practice, which is um, very much about... Um, surrender, uh, not a middle way between grasping and aversion, a middle way between um, conscious mind directing, controlling versus uh, rejecting it all and maybe what, <laughs> waiting for grace to do something. So in any case, let me jump into the text and uh, it'll take a little time to get settled down because this is a whole nother... Um, uh, a whole other field. We're really looking now into Nichananda's direct teachings and Vedantic direct teachings um, of cosmology, ontology, soteriology, and um, we'll see where it goes. So the second chapter that's listed on the page here um, is the nature of the absolute. And so its uh, passages are taken from Chittakash Gita, which is also, uh, which I may get to later, far down the line. Uh, these were utterances that Nityananda made coming out of trance, presumably, and um, little pearls of um, the wisdom of a fully realized being, it seems to me, uh, speaking what is. In, in a uh, in the philosophical terminology of Vedantic or um, Hindu yogic systems. So, chapter, The Nature of the Absolute. And the first is taken from what's called Sutra, or uh, Sutra 63, meaning the, th the 63rd um, Sutra, or, or utterance of Chittagashkita. He said, This is Shiva Shakti, the creative power of the indivisible one. 
and God's creative power is the self, the one reality. So again, this is not Buddhism. <laughs> and that's fine. I think we can put it together, and yet there's great uh, wisdom here. So Chaitanyananda's text or commentary starts after this. The absolute, the ultimate reality, the highest of all, this is pure consciousness. This pure dynamic consciousness is the basis and source of all manifestation, large and small. Many names have been given to this, quote, ground of all, meaning Godhead absolute. Shiva, Parashakti, Parabrahma, Atman, the Self, with a capital S, or God. It is the divine consciousness in all, the one consciousness. This ocean of pure potentiality has two inseparable aspects. Pure potential, Shiva, and pure energy, Shakti. Shakti is the creative or supreme creative aspect of the Absolute, vital and dynamic. It is both completely stable and never still. The eternally pulsating sound and power of Om, O-M, the creative energy of life, or Omkar. Within this sea, or the sea of pure consciousness, this resonance causes movement, waves, and ripples that intersect and mingle, rise and break. All manifestation arises from the movement and interaction of forces precipitated by the resonance that is Omkar. Omkar is the original word, paravak, parami, like as in uh, gate gate, paragate, or parabaman, meaning beyond or ultimate or original. Paravak, vak meaning voice, right? Samavaka, right speech. <clears throat> so omkar is the original word, paravak, the original or universal sound, shabda, the word in the Gospel of St. John, quote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 6, 1. In the Rig Veda, one of the most ancient of Indian holy texts, omkar is vak, creator and substance of all, Omkar is pulsating everywhere, always at the same time. It is formless, completely open, pure potential. Now, if we compare this, try to get a sense of what they're saying, what's being said here. First of all, you see, I see, there's so many names that so many people give to the same reality. This is very difficult. This is uh, the planet of uh, Tower of Babel. And so... Uh, is Shiva, is Shiva Shakti different? Yes and no. Is it different from Parashakti? Is Shiva different from Shakti? Is Shakti different from Parashakti? Is Brahma different than Parabrahma? Is Atman different than Jivatman? Is Paramatman different than Atman? Is Self different from God? Well, <laughs> um, everything is one. And all is one, or all the many, all that appears to be many, uh, its nature is one. The appearances are many, many, no doubt. In time and space, yeah, there is uh, experience of linear sequence. That's called time. And spatial uh, distinction or subject-object subject duality, that's called space. So yeah, you can say you can split uh, the hair many ways. You can uh, identify countless ripples on the ocean 
you can also determine sequence uh, with stages. And yet, uh, it's all the one infinite creator, as Ra would say, it's all God, it's all intelligent infinity. When we go from that statement, relative, <laughs> dualistic statement of the absolute, which is about as good as we can get, meaning we can only describe the non-dual in dualistic language. Uh, and we should make sure that we don't get caught in quibbling, in the thicket of views, in the argumentation, uh, and, and idle speculation uh, of um, various opinions regarding the nature of the differentiation of, of, of what is one life. This is one life. Inner, outer, self, other, up, down, earlier, later, past, present, future, uh, intelligent infinity, intelligent energy, seven rays, seven chakras, mind, body, spirit, higher self, seventh density, you know, in totality complex, uh, even uh, the three uh, aspects of what appears to be a self in the octave, mind, body, spirit complex, higher self, Atman, and seventh density, totality complex as Ra, as per Ra, they say that's, uh, what, three points in a circle. It's a three, it's, it's an apparent differentiation of one into three. And so we have to be really careful that we don't get stuck. Likewise, calling the absolute pure consciousness can be very problematic because consciousness can also be used for subjective awareness where awareness is non-dual non-dual consciousness or non-dual sentience or presence, the way I like to say it. See, everybody's got their own system. You've got to be really... Uh, you, you have to take it to yourself so you don't trip over your own shoelaces. And so I wouldn't... I can get it that they're saying, or his view, or Chetanyananda's view of Nityananda's view or reality experience is that absolute is pure consciousness, the pure means non-dual. And yet there are other ways of calling it like awareness or cosmic consciousness or universal awareness, non-dual consciousness or boundless awareness as distinct from subjective self-oriented consciousness. They're different. And yet, one, the, the personal subjective dualistic exists within the universal non-dual absolute. Ultimately, they are distinct but identical. So, all is one, yeah, and that one is infinity. Meaning, it's actually boundless. It's not a defined unity. It's an indefinable or inconceivable unity. And therefore, even unity is not appropriate. Buddhism doesn't really... Early Buddhism doesn't talk about unity. Hinduism does talk about unity, or this Vedantic approach. <clears throat> so when they say pure, they really mean non-dual. I wouldn't use the word, I wouldn't say ultimate or Godhead or intelligent. Ross says intelligent infinity, right? There's infinity that becomes self-aware called intelligent infinity. That awareness in the, the cosmology or cosmogenesis of the raw material, that, that infinity, self-aware, now being called intelligent infinity, um, realizes by its awareness the possibility of a concept, 
the primary concept is the opposite of what it is. And that primary concept is called finity, the concept of finity, meaning non-infinity, meaning the first concept that arises, because concept is illusory as well. Thought is illusory. It's a generation of an apparent differentiation. It's the generation in, aware, in unbounded awareness of an apparently distinct uh, dhamma, or an apparently distinct item or entity uh, called a thought form, called the thought form of finity. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> From that discernment, the, the, intelligent, the, the one creator discerned a concept, the concept was finity. Okay, that sounds good to me. Then, from that discernment of the concept or illusion, thought form, illusory, illusory thought form of a, a completely impossible condition called finity, because duality is illusory. It's apparent but not essential. It's formal of the form, but not essential or substantial of its nature. So formal is the form. Substantial is the substance or the essence. Even these terms could be thrown out. <clears throat> you know, I mean, Zen Zen teachers would just smack you on that, smack me on the head, say, uh, "Don't don't come here talking about uh, relative and dualistic, relative and absolute. <laughs> Drop that shit." <clears throat> yeah, right. All this talk is also a raft, as Gautama said right from the start. All this teaching is a raft. Don't get caught in the thicket of view. And in Buddhism is the view, or the teaching that there are inconceivables or indeterminates or um, those fields of speculation that should not be uh, entered, called, including cosmology and karma. The nature of the Buddha's awareness or a Buddha's awareness, the nature of cosmology, the nature of karmic operation, these are some of the inconceivables that Gautama said, don't worry about. When you, you'll, when you get there, you'll know. When you're home, you'll know it all. Don't worry about what you'll know when you're home. Worry about getting home. <clears throat> he didn't say in those words. Nityananda said the fastest path home. Okay, home. This is the path of return. This is the, the evolutionary arc going from the many back to the one and from the one back to its source. Right? So there's the many, which we can boil down to polarity or duality. That duality is ultimately uh, the expression of a, one, of, a, of, one, uh, of a field that is of one, a unified field. Yet the experience of the many and the experience of its antithesis both are actually stages along the path back to source or infinity, as far as I see it. <clears throat> so then there are countless names, the ground of all, the source of all, that which is before creation the pre-luminal. That's, Ra calls the one infinite creator. Here you can call it Shiva or Parashakti, right? Shiva, so you divide up. <laughs> you can divide, you cannot divide. But before all differentiation, there's uh, source. Source is ultimately all there ever will be. <laughs> all is Godhead now. What is Godhead? It's indescribable. <laughs> Um, if you try to conform your mind to it, you probably get, won't get so far, but Ra had the practice, um, look in the mirror, see the Creator. Look around you, see the Creator. Look at other beings, see the Creator. The moment contains love. And they said that that's a, 
prime, uh, a very highly uh, centered practice because it's basically seeking to realize um, what is, which is the identity of the many with its source. The, the, the nature, re revealing the true nature of what appears to be the many. And so that's what they say, divine consciousness, pure consciousness, one consciousness, self, God. Fine, self, no self, no problem. So an ocean of pure potentiality, um, the potential before the kinetic. The kinetic is what gave rise to creation. The potential is what has the power to give rise to creation. Creation, of course, we know is light, right? The concept of light, Ra said, in the illusion of limits. So creation is a, a, a complex system uh, of an illusion of limits, which is of differentiation. The differentiation of creation, seven dimensions, three aspects of apparent self in the octave, the chakras, uh, the polarity lines, the nadis in the subtle body, galaxies, planets, stars, dot, dot, dot. Um, that apparent manyness is the one infinite creator, is its source. Its nature is its source. Its form is differentiated. And so then you've got the first division that, that they're making here, pure potential versus pure energy, Shiva Shakti. The nature of that energy, which we can call intelligent energy, is its source. And so then we can say, okay, well, maybe pure potential is intelligent infinity and pure energy is intelligent energy, which is light or light love with a capital L, which is the source of the seven rays. It's prior to the seven rays. It also is called the Logos. So before the Logos, um, there's a one infinite creator. They're distinct. And there's several levels of Logos that Ra had set. There's galactic Logos, solar sub-logos, atmanic sub-sub-logos, and they once even gave a little teaser and seemed to indicate that the conscious mind could be called a sub-sub-sub-logos. So the, the light in the eyes <laughs> that comes through the mask of the face and the body um, that is of the agency and power of what could be called a conscious mind or a beingness with a conscious mind. That's a sub-sub-sub-logos coming out of its first-level source, which is Atman, higher self. Buddhism doesn't talk about Atman. Buddhism doesn't care. <laughs> Fine. No, I don't have a problem with that either. Self, no self, same, same. It's not a self anyway. Higher self is not a self because it's, Ra said, uh, in Sixth Density, they experience, they no longer seek light, we have become light. That's the nature of, of the sense of selfhood at sixth density is the experience that uh, I is uh, boundless luminosity. Sounds like Dzogchen, right? I is boundless luminosity. Boundless luminosity is I, is the agent, is the one that is speaking. You can even say it is, an as it is <laughs> the aspect of the boundless one currently speaking is luminosity. Sure, light. Yeah. Amitabha. Sure, no problem. And now that could be called pure energy, intelligent energy, and that's pure intelligent energy is accessed in six chakra. And six chakra is considered 
a seat of Atman. Now, there are other ways of looking at that, too, also heart chakra or seventh chakra. So, sure, you can divide in, in the illusory, temporal, linear sequence of apparent cosmogenesis from source to an apparently separate, which is not <laughs> separate, uh, creation based in light and vibration, we can say there's, there's potentia and kinetic. There's potential and kinetic. Potential Shiva, kinetic Shakti. Fine. Uh, but they're ultimately one. And so then, uh, as the Logos spins, which gave rise to um, the um, whirling cross in iconography, in symbolism, right? The equal armed cross is um, one symbol of the Logos uh, in its potential state. When it turns, it can be seen as a, as a swastika, swastika, which was in play in Hinduism long, long, long before Hitler and the Nazis. And so clockwise or counterclockwise is also the matter. Originally, as far as I know, it was clockwise, meaning evolutionary. Counterclockwise is commonly called devolutionary, and that's why, from what I've seen, the main configuration of swastika for the German Nazis was counterclockwise, meaning rotating against evolution. However, <laughs> you will see uh, mandalas um, or um, tankas in Tibet or uh, Hindu mandala paintings where the swastika uh, goes both ways, clockwise and counterclockwise, which... Uh, it just shows that people had artistic license over the over the centuries as well, and so. But that whirling of uh, the logos, both horizontal, vertical, and um, uh, of of stillness and motion, it's the the motion of the logos gives rise to light, right? Said so Ross said, the action of free will upon love. First principle, free will. Second principle, or law, love, gives rise to light, intelligent energy. Um, that light, intelligent energy, uh, is Omkar. And so, is it separate from the Logos? The light that the Logos generates, is it separate? No. It, or it seems to be separate. Uh, is, is, gener is that which is generated... Uh, separate or different or not the same as that which generates it. The Logos generates light. The Logos is light, love light. He's that light whose nature is love in its movement, waves, ripples, intersecting, mingling, rising, breaking, this, that, the other thing. Is that not the Logos? Or is it, you know, <laughs> what the Logos creates? Is that not the Logos? Of course it's the Logos. <laughs> So that's why I'm saying identity is source. True nature is the source, is its source. And that's where we get back to the real law of one, which is that uh, all is the one infinite creator or intelligent infinity or infinity. And so the many not only could be understood as one, but differentiation is just a mask for infinity. 
what appears to be differentiated is appearing to be differentiated only because of avidya and particularly craving and tanha tanha mana tanha mana the craving of conceit and um eighth in buddhism these are eighth ninth tenth fetters right craving or conceit craving conceit conceited craving it's a little different than straight up eighth fetter in buddhism ninth fetter restlessness tenth fetter avidya those are broken only by the arahant at the end of the path or by one on the path of return who's uh, finished with the octave i would say uh, but ultimately, what comes out of source is uh, uh, the same is of the same nature as source. And so now we're talking about cosmogenesis. So sutra, this may take longer than I thought. Sutra ninety-five, Nichinanda said, "Om vibrates like a storm in the sky, having neither beginning nor end. It is the stage manager of the divine drama." The human body is a string of om, all that is, inside us, outside us, is born of om. Om as the essential um, turn, uh, the, the movement or apparent activity of the logos, the logos generating light, the sound. And so the, the uh, vibration, what we call vibration, is sound. And sound is a vibratory expression. Uh, and Om or Omkar uh, is um, the Logos in operation, I'd say. Uh, having no beginning, no end, because um, creation, the process of cosmogenesis, never ends. Gautama would say that too. It, there is no discernible start. Ross said the same thing. There's no discernible start. There's no discernible end. Because we're talking about um, uh, the experience or perception of, of time and space in, in a context of infinity. <laughs> and so when time and space, the, when the illusory perceptions of time and space go away, we're not only in unity, we're in infinity. And, and everything gets kind of um, indecipherable at that point. Including beginning, including the idea that there's a beginning and an end. And the stage manager of divine drama is the divine drama of the galact the galaxies, and their and their octaves. Right, the galactic logos, uh, as uh, the first, as the as the stage uh, for such divine drama. Likewise, the human body. A string of om, a vibratory thread in the tapestry of uh, infinity, in an, in an infinite tapestry where uh, you can differentiate individual threads in this tapestry, likewise currents um, in the ocean, but they're currents of the substance of water. They, uh, the thread is simply... Um, flickering, dancing, <laughs> dancing thought, dancing light uh, in a vast uh, conglomerate or tapestry uh, where its nature cannot really be, uh, it, its nature is essentially inseparable from the totality or context in which it exists. 
and so we're moving from dual from two to one and one to infinity and uh, the commentary here from Chaitanyananda was Omkar Shakti is the very nature of the absolute or God everything's the nature of everything right <laughs> or everything is of the nature of of source it's a living energy whose vibration gives rise to the whole universe so here we're talking about the logos again synonymous with the Om sound and pranava Omkar is the all-pervasive universal mantra this one dynamic impulse reverberates within itself, giving rise to all experience, intellectual, volitional, emotional, and spiritual. Omkar is also called Satchitananda, being consciousness bliss. Sat is being, chit can be translated as consciousness, ananda, bliss. The Absolute simply is an eternally stable, self-luminous, conscious force, continuously and joyously manifesting its own awareness, Satchitananda. Again, lots of people put lots of words uh, <clears throat> to that which is beyond conception. And that's fine, but um, one should be able to cut through it because um, it's, just, uh, it, it's just this moment. It is, right? So Gautama is the Tathagata, the thus come one. He just came here. He appears. This is. Uh, be here now, like Ram Das taught. Um, may uh, I personally think it's useful <laughs> to study these words and make sure you don't get tangled in them. So you see, there's so many synonyms here, right? Omkar, Shakti, Satchitananda, Parabrahman the Logos, intelligent energy, intelligent infinity, uh, one must be careful. <laughs> is it joyously manifesting its own awareness? Well, actually, it's beyond joy, as far as I know. The, the guardians, are they self-luminous, self you can say? Sure, eighth-density beings. Are they joyous? You look at Ninjin on his face. Is he joyous all the time? No. Is he unhappy? Don't seem to be. But uh, I wouldn't. Uh, pe people should be careful of anthropomorphizing uh, in the 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 liberated um, condition. Of course, even these words "condition" or "state" are no good. Um, liberation uh, is not as you conceive it. So be careful with excess conceiving. So this is one where understanding the mind of of a Buddha was one of the inconceivables or, or um, on, I forgot the other term for it, but one of those topics um, that are better left alone. When you get there, you'll know. And like Dzogchen we were talking about before, there's a whole lot of discussion of the completed reality, the so-called state or condition of a so-called being who's um, in what we'll call liberation, a complete and perfect enlightenment, or nirvana, or <laughs> no problem, moksha, mukti, satchitananda, parabrahman, paramatman. Okay, fine, all that's fine. But to say that um, God is joy, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a sort of bliss. I would say bliss, where we could make distinction between pleasure and happiness and joy and bliss. That's useful, uh, but one should just be careful about projecting onto 
the uh, onto uh, infinity uh, distinct qualities um, of dualistic experience. So, yeah, infinity gives rise to the experience or appearance of finity, and uh, creation never ends. Just like Howard Storm saw this great sphere of light where entities kept flowing out and flowing back in as a vision of the Logos. So, <clears throat> Sutra 92. <laughs> yes, this will take some time, I guess, if I let myself speak freely. Sutra 92. The universe arises from sound, as do all things with form. From sound, form arises. So, form, which we call you know, rupa, so there's nama rupa, name and form. Form, whether it's a physical body or a thought form, or the energy fields that are associated with um, a chakra. The seven chakras have seven energy fields or sheaths, seven bodies, the seven energy bodies. These are forms. So the, the chakra wheel vortex is a form. Its energy field is a form. Uh, within that energy field, there's vibratory activity. Those are forms. Likewise, uh, the mind activity of thought generates thought forms. Likewise, there's a physical body that is of a form. It's a physical 3D space-time form. These are forms um, for consciousness, awareness, or dualistic subjective consciousness which itself has a tie line in its apparently differentiated condition to the infinite. That's called spirit complex. So there's body, mind, spirit. Body is a form. Mind is a form. Spirit is not. And we'll see how this is related. So, um, but those forms um, arise from sound. That's where you get omkar or pranava. Or the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. Why did those Greek Christians or mystics use the word for word, <laughs> the term Logos for God? Why? God is a word? What weird stuff is that? It ain't a thought form. Well, it's a vibratory, uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a vibration or a vibratory generation. God is a vibratory generation. <laughs> not a guy with a long beard, not Lady Gaia either. Those are all differentiations that you can play with if you like, but actually it's uh, formless. <laughs> the for form arose from the formless, of course. So we can say that mind-body arose from spirit, and we can say that mind-body-spirit arose from the unity of uh, Atman, and Atman arose from the unity um, of the seven-dimensional octave coming out of the Logos itself, coming out of a sub-Logos or a higher level uh, spark. So this is the path of return, right? Um, zero, one, three, seven, two, and back up to, to one and zero. Zero as infinity, or infinity and zero, nothingness and everythingness as the same giving rise to the many things whose nature is one. 
and so it's a, does it give rise to one that splits into two, or does it give rise to many whose nature is one? <laughs> I don't know. Same. But in the many, certainly um, it operates by polarity, by a polarity, a yin-yang, right? Um, the primary the primary activity, I mean, there is no vibration without polarity. That's the point. So all creation is vibratory. Um, you can say it's all formal, actually. There's some, all of the, all of light, light is vibratory. Um, and therefore it's polarized. Therefore, there are two paths. <laughs> therefore, um, the, uh, multiplicity, the apparent multiplicity of the 10,000 things, as the Chinese would say, um, it's, uh, a, a deeper level of its nature is, is, is of a polarity. Meanwhile, um, it resolves itself by an integration of that polarity. It exists, it, it continues by polar, by a polarity, and it, um, resolves itself by the integration of that polarity, of all polarities. So anyway, his comment is exactly how this vibrant, self-aware, ever-pulsating ocean of pure consciousness, meaning intelligent infinity, I think, manifests as our familiar world is the subject of much scholarly debate. In general, all schema trace a hierarchical development beginning with the single absolute that manifests in increasingly differentiated levels. Hence, the higher or more subtle worlds, right? 31 planes in Buddhism, 7 dimensions in the raw material. Uh, likewise, Hinduism has a complex cosmological structure of planes. Nichinanda likewise sees the material world as the most differentiated, gross, differentiated and gross level because each successive level is contained within its more subtle pre predecessor, this is holographic, however, all things share certain basic elements that are the first and most subtle differentiations from the absolute. So, all is the absolute in, differentiate, in successively differentiated forms. That's one way to say it. And, and so, the uh, oak tree is within the acorn, <laughs> like uh, good thoughts, bad thoughts. And so the future is in the present, the past is in the present. And so that's um, holography in a certain sense. There is hierarchical development, meanwhile time and space are illusory. <laughs> space is a perception of um, differentiated um, objects with boundaries. And um, some experience, a perception, and then an experience that there's uh, proximity, far and near. This is uh, the f the result of limited perception or occluded perception. When the when the doors of perception are cleansed, man would see reality or life as it is, infinite. Sang William Blake, the poet from Cleveland, not from Cleveland. He was really from England. The other one was from Cleveland. So, um, he also sang of uh, three phases, right? Innocence, experience, and higher innocence. And that's the path back. This is the path. So, uh, the path of liberation 
traverses back the path of cosmogenesis. So cosmogenesis gets us to the many uh, from the one whose nature is infinite, uh, spiritual path or um, the liberation sequence takes us back the same path where uh, essentially we may experience seven chakras and uh, countless thoughts. <laughs> so the many, many thoughts of the mind become quiet, equanimity, and concentration, samadhi, unification, concentration, samadhi. And so the mind becomes more quiet and the body-mind becomes synchronized or coordinated. Right? We clear the lower three chakras of blockage and by way of activation of fourth and fifth particularly. That leads to uh, a, a greater integration of one, two, three, four, five chakras. That's under the guidance of six or some awareness of, of the value of doing the work itself. Some sense of faith that this is valuable work. Some basic trust or knowing that um, uh, I am more than body-mind, and in fact, uh, I, uh, the potential of I is um, unknown. We don't know our true potential. Nityananda said everything is possible. Of course everything is possible. Miracles happen. Miracles are possible. Uh, but some faith that uh, this is a meaningful creation. It's not meaningless. This is not nihilism. This is um, a sense of um, supreme value. There's a supreme value to existence. And I made this, and I can unmake it if it's problematic, and I can transform this I. This is um, some of the faith and the knowing and the conviction that allows us to develop uh, on what could be called a spiritual path, and then the three goes back to one, the three of body, mind, spirit. First, body, mind become integrated, coordinated, and then it's coordinated with six-ray and six-seven. And then ultimately that seven-ray system um, is sufficiently developed so that we end up in late six density with an experience of unified identity. That then leaves six density to seven where Ra said they'll no longer experience memory and identity. So then they drop, there's no sense of time. They don't experience temporal uh, division of past, present, future. They don't experience spatial division of far and near, or you and me, or that and this. And so memory's gone, and then identity's gone. Hmm, they have no separative identity. Um, they have become light in sixth density. In seventh density, um, that light um, no longer experiences any limitation to omniscience and omnipresence. And so omniscience does away with memory or past, present, future, temporal linear, linear sequence. Memory is gone. Likewise, identity is gone uh, because there's... Um, uh, there's no sense of uh, that light not being anywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> We've become light. Then they realize, they experience, they perceive as omnipresent. And by that omnipresence, um, 
they come to omniscience. It's not perhaps finished in seventh density, obviously, but it's getting pretty close. And Nichinanda manifests that all of that pretty well too. And so um, he also saw this or three D space time as the most differentiated, and um, holographically could see that, uh, like we're saying, um, what appears to be more gross. Um, is itself uh, not separate from the fine, just like, so you see, in some cases, different teachers have better and worse, <laughs> more clear and less clear formulations. There's no doubt that, that different teachers and teachings do better on this and that. To say that this one teacher and teaching has the best formulation of everything is shallow. It's wrong. It's just not true. So Ross said, the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. How many words on this page could be thrown away from that? <laughs> Most of many of them. Nichina, all things shared. This is Chetanyananda, right? So Chetanyananda is drawing on his own sources, just like I do, just like you do. And it seems very clear to me that some sources uh, formulate different principles better than other sources. So Nichinanda may formulate we're talking about formulation. We're not talking about attainment. Just the formulation of view. The, the formulation of, of metaphysical view, spiritual view, is absolutely better in certain areas with particular sources. So Ra's formulation, the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Bang! That knocks out a whole lot of stuff here, I think. Yeah, it's inseparable. It means it's one. It means that everything that appears to be physical only is not physical only. <laughs> it's physical metaphysical now. We just don't see or experience the metaphysical that much. Uh, let me go on. Sutra 70. Uh, actually, let me um, jump to the second link for a moment. <laughs> this is from a book called Shadow of Spirit, Postmodernism and Religion edited by Philippa Berry and Andrew Wernick, two intellectuals. And this is from page 160, Ethics and Politics, different source, but two good points. One from Fathang, Chinese Buddhist, second from Lankavatara Sutra, also both Mahayana. From Fathang, emptiness does away with all things, but by no means does it not posit them. <laughs> there are some smart guys uh, a thousand years ago. So emptiness does away with all things, but by no means does it not posit them. Meaning, double negative, it doesn't not posit them. So it does posit them. Posit means what? Posit means assert the um, apparent reality of. Emptiness, sunyata, meaning the metaphysical, the, the non-dual, or indescribable, metaphysical, non-dual nature of all that appears differentiated. That truth does away with all things, meaning there's no longer separate. It does away with the apparent separative, differentiated, differentness of what appears to be multiplicity all things. The notion of all things means there's many distinct objects. There's no many distinct objects in reality. That's a physical perception. 
or that's a perception of the physical apparent reality that there are things and they have definite contours and shapes and, and forms, right? It's formal. And there, therefore, there are many, all of those things. There are things, and there are many. They appear to be many, so we call them all things. Sunya, a realization of emptiness, or the true nature uh, of the many being one, as expressed in the principle of emptiness, or sunyata, does away with that false perception and experience. But by no means does it not posit them, meaning it doesn't mean they don't exist. Something is apparently existing. And the second quote from Lankavatara Sutra also expresses this teaching. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Right. So things, the so-called all things, um, the, the, nature, the nature of those so-called apparent things, all things, its nature is not its appearance. Nor are they, meaning those apparent differentiated things, nor are they other or totally separate from their appearance, which is uh, its <laughs> it differentiation and um, separateness. And so um, this is the same point. The physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. Physical is physical metaphysical metaphysical is metaphysical physical even and so there are energy fields chakras are formal and so uh, the whole of the octave actually is called the cosmic physical plane in the alice bailey theosophy the whole the whole seven dimensional octave is called the cosmic physical because it's all of um a cosmic substance called light <laughs> In the next octave, if you ever, when you're there, uh, this whole seven-dimensional octave is the first plane of the next octave. And so this seven-fold octave is itself the first dimension, which is called eighth dimension to us, or first dimension in the next octave. Okay? And so it's the cosmic physical because... Um, it's all vibrating light, illusory vibration, concept of light, illusory vibrating matter. <laughs> the matter is actually light. Mm -hmm. So anyway, these two um, statements um, talking about relative and absolute view. And um, while the appearance of um, multiplicity and differentiation and separateness is, an, is a, you know, it's a real experience or perception. It's also born of limited perception. And so when there's no more limit to perception, that the, all of that which is the physical or formal is seen as its metaphysical or essential nature. And its essential nature is seen as expressing itself in that physical, formal, differentiated way. Okay, Sutra 70, and we will end on the next few here. Let me see. <coughs> Sutra 70. When the life energy moves in an outward direction, desires are born. There the mind follows, dividing and subdividing into the two, four, and six-fold properties 
of unconscious cosmic nature and what we call, quote, the world comes into being. In Buddhism and Hinduism, it's very common that the world equals the human constructed um, illusory uh, perceptual uh, ignorance-based human perception and all that it experiences is called the world. And so the outer, what we call the outer world, which has some consensus reality, right? Like I can say the tree is tall and green, and you'll probably say, okay, that sounds right to me, more or less. But um, actually, in many ways, it's um, self-generated by each uh, thinker, by each mind. <clears throat> and that's where you get the line between psychosis and, um, and non-duality. So there's that Sufi saying, or some Middle Eastern mystic perhaps saying that the um, the sage or the seer or the enlightened or the mystic swims in the ocean, the same ocean within which uh, the crazy man drowns. <laughs> so it's the ocean of non-duality, of uh, selflessness, non-separation, formlessness. And... <clears throat> uh, that's some initial, uh, that, that ultimately is the reality that um, what appears to be outer is generated by uh, the one that sees. And so there's this, I guess it's a Vedic saying, when the seer, the seen, and the means to seeing, or when the knower, the known, and the means to knowing are one, there is Brahman. So there's the seer, the so-called subject, there's the seen, the so-called object, that's called dualistic consciousness or the illusion of limits or the world. Um, when that's one, there is Brahman or there's return to Logos or Moksha or liberation, knowing that the inner and the outer is not um, as it appears. <laughs> Nor is it otherwise, meaning, yeah, there is an experience of inner outer. That's the problem. The, the, the seer, the, the enlightened one, would know uh, things are not as they appear and as they appear has a relative truth to it. The one that loses their mind and goes to psychosis doesn't know that while, um, yes, indeed, all I perceive and experience is my dream, it has a relative truth to it. And I dream you, but you're also dreaming me. And within this dream, there are rules and laws. If I drop my cup, it falls and breaks. And... Um, if I don't have money, I starve. And if I uh, act stupid in the street, I get taken to the hospital. So <clears throat> not only that, but uh, the uh, world, which is illusory, <clears throat> whose nature is metaphysical and quite formless, really. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> form is formless. <laughs> form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Yeah. That's a core in the Heart Sutra. And so, form is empty, as we used to say that every day in the Japanese monastery. Fui, shiki, shiki, sokoze, ku, ku, sokoze, something, something. And that's, uh, ku is emptiness. Uh, fu, I think, is form. I'm not sure. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, um, the nature of form is emptiness. Um, but the the uh, ex 
existence of that illusory form, or empty form, has a relative truth to it. <laughs> and so, um, while the world is your dream, uh, don't you, you neglect it and dismiss it at your own peril. And then one drowns. And so there's some modified Buddhist saying recently of, you have to have a strong self to have no self. Ha ha ha. That's done by some Vipassana Westerners, I think. <clears throat> uh, one has to have um, a stable mind and uh, a lot of clearance of lower triad blockage. One has to live in, in morality in an moral way or in a moral way. One has to be pretty well centered in heart chakra activation before one can venture into formlessness safely. Just like one should not be developing cities or magical powers if one's morality is not squeaky clean. Yeah, squeaky, clean squeaky clean means ahimsa, means you're really centered in harmlessness. <clears throat> then it might be safe sometimes, <laughs> in some conditions, to develop cities. Anyway, Nichinanda, the text goes on, and I will try to control myself and end it here soon. Nichinanda spoke primarily of two sets of such elements. In the first are five categories of earth, water, fire, air, and ether. This is five-element theory from Ayurvedic, or one way, or Vedic. In the second set are three primary gunas, or constituent elements of cosmic nature. Prakriti is the cosmic nature. We're talking about um, the octave of form and uh, vibration. Uh, sattva, rajas, tamas. Sattva is pure light and perfect balance. It gives rise to uh, sat, like satchitananda sat. Tamas, on the other end of the spectrum, embodies inertia, darkness, and total density, meaning uh, big uh, ignorance and 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 um, uh, sloth and torpor in many ways. Between the two lies rajas, passion, fire, dynamic activity. <clears throat> That's all, all very interesting stuff and very applicable to astrology and health. Going on, all principles have a single root, the one absolute, parabrahmam. Yes, of course, right? <laughs> Uh, the many came from the one infinite or the infinite one, and that could be called Paraparaman or one infinite creator or intelligent infinity or God. Fine. Then the final comments. Omkar is the essence of them all, the power of doership of the absolute. That's the logoic principle. The logos is the agent, always. The essence of life, of words and objects, of human beings. Omkar is the heart of Atman. Right, like the Logos, like Atman is a sub-sub-Logos, that's the key. Omkar very much is the Logoi principle, it seems to me. And Atman is central to the mystery of our essential nature, because Atman is the self, or it could be called that. In sutras, uh, Nityananda's Chittakashkita, a distinction is made between the individual self, Jivatman, and the divine self, Paramatman, very much like um, Atman as sub Sublogos and uh, solar logos as sublogos, fine, and that's what happens actually. Um, my body spirit returns to Atman, and then as Atman returns through seventh density to logos or solar logos, same as Jivatman joining with Paramatman seems to me. And Buddhism doesn't talk about this at all. <coughs> they just say 
when they get when you get there, you'll know. And don't worry about all this speculation, which is an also a good approach also. Uh, and I think we're mature enough to do some speculation and drop it. You have to be able to do it and then drop it. Anyway, this distinction is only on the surface, right? <laughs> the distinction is Maya. This does not mean that the world is an illusion. Well, maybe. After all, the power underlying everything is real power, right? So it's real. The, the basis of what appears <clears throat> is real. Rather, Maya implies that nothing outside and nothing inside is as it appears, right? Not as they appear. Individual selves are not really separate. They're not really individual. They're apparently individual. Instead, they are like waves on the ocean surface, each different but still water, only water. Right, that analogy is very important. Likewise, any extension of the Supreme Self, Paramatman, or Solar Logos, you could say, is not different from the Supreme Self. <clears throat> so any extension or progression, any generation, is not essentially different from its source. So any extension of Supreme Self is not different from Supreme Self. It's different but not separate. Some people will say separate but not different. You can say not different. You can say not separate. It's certainly a different form. <laughs> right? The 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 current of the currents in the ocean are formally different from the non-currents <laughs> or the totality of the body of the ocean. Formally, it, there's a difference, clearly. But it and but that's not a it it's nature is one. There's the same nature of the current as with the total body of water. That's all. Jivatman is the supreme conscious energy or beingness expressed as an individuated person. Paramatman is the absolute and they're both really the same thing. Right. Uh, look in the mirror, see the creator. <laughs> when Nityananda speaks of the merging of Jivatman into the Paramatman, he's simply referring to the merging of ocean waves into water or into the totality of the body of the ocean. Not Atman merging into Atman. Right. Sub-logos, sub-sub-logos, Atman, merging into sub-logos, solar logos, or Paramatman. Fine. <clears throat> and Buddhism just says, you know, neti neti, or just be quiet. The Zen master strikes you. Fine. No problem. We can all do it. So it's useful to think, and it's important to drop it. <laughs> view is important, and one should not get tangled in the thicket of views. Uh, and so, and finally, for those uh, beating the dead horse, for those who uh, still are a bit upset that self, that anatta equals paramatman, or Buddhist teachings of anatta uh, are comparable to Hindu Vedantic teachings of paramatman, supreme self. There is uh, the next link, puredhamma.net, three levels of practice. What is important is intention, chetana, and timing. Point seven, this actually I'm going to read next week in full with Toto, in Toto, um, in the discussion of the next sutta, Subhasita, I think, sutta about right speech. Number seven, Mr. the Sri Lankan wrote, in the case of the wanderer Vachakota asking the Buddha about whether there, there is a self or no self, the Buddha just remained silent. Hmm, why didn't he say, no self? 
And uh, the comment, commentary here says, After Vachagota left, uh, Buddha's personal attendant, Venerable Ananda, asked him why Buddha did not explain the concept that it is not correct to say there is no soul or there is a soul because there is only an ever-changing life stream to Vachagota, meaning, yeah, Ananda just said, or he commented that, Ananda said to the Buddha that, yeah, the teaching is, it's not correct to say, there is no soul, or there is a soul. Meaning, it's not correct to say, there is a self, nor there is no self. The Buddha told Ananda that he did not think Vachakota was mentally capable at that time to understand the concept, and that he did not want to confuse him. And so, <clears throat> uh, some people who don't understand some things, or sometimes when we don't understand things, we are not, at that time, mentally capable. <laughs> doesn't mean insane or stupid. It just means not currently mentally capable of understanding. This is a very important point, because sometimes we try to explain things to someone. It seems pretty clear to us. It may be clear to our, us and our friends. But for the other, they think what they can't understand. And so uh, sometimes we and others are current or temporarily or uh, chronically mentally incapable of understanding something. Mental development um, is relative, and some, uh, some people can't put together the notion that uh, Paramatman and Anatta um, are two ways of saying the same thing. So, but the, <laughs> just in passing, the, the, the Sri Lankan um, Buddhist uh, teacher here is saying, it's not correct that, yeah, everybody knew it, Ananda knew it, that it's not correct to say there's no soul or there is a soul. So to say there is a self or there's no self, this is not Buddhism. And the angry photographer brought that out with his tattoos. So angry photographer on YouTube is a scholar of Pali. So strange. But <clears throat> he was the first one that said to me that really Gautama was saying, there's no self in the skandhas. There's no, there's no eternal identity or selfhood subject agent in all five skandhas, including in mental process and in consciousness. <clears throat> Fifth skanda, Vijnana. There's no uh, eternal, substantial, solid uh, agent separate, even in consciousness. Uh, but that's not a problem because Paramatman or um, awareness beyond the octave or uh, in Moksha Mukti um, is boundless already. <laughs> so there's presence, but not separate of selfhood. And that's the point. If you really know your mind, if the mind is really quiet, even now you could see or know that the one that speaks is of a presence not of a substantial separative uh, identity. And on that point, uh, we'll close it for the day. Next time we'll get into the chapter, Nature of the Individual. <clears throat> Heavy stuff. So I hope this was helpful for all those listening. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.